Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi there. My name's Tom Daly, and I'd like to briefly tell you about my podcast, American Biography. American Biography isn't just a chronological retelling of the history of the United States, but rather is an episodic exploration of that history through a human prism. I'm not just looking at the biggest names in the American pantheon, but at individuals such as congressmen, cabinet members, civic leaders, diplomats, who, though well less known, nonetheless significantly impacted the nation's evolutionary trajectory. The show's not just trotting out the great man theory. I believe that biography is often more engaging than history at the macro level. History is, after all, a human story. That's why I want to talk about people, words and all. Their hopes and fears, their flaws and foibles, their brilliance and boneheadedness. In American biography, I want to underscore the private lives of these public people and by observing how their internal conflicts intersect with the external pressures of the world in which they lived, hopefully reveal a more complete and relatable picture of American history. What's more, nothing occurs in a vacuum. Just as the culture and time we're born into profoundly affects us, our actions profoundly affects the world around us going forward, like ripples emanating from a center of energy. The same is true for those who came before us, except some of those people didn't just make ripples, they made waves, and the world they shaped through the force of their lives is our history. If this sounds like something you're interested in, please join me on American Biography, and together we'll learn more about the important Americans we don't know enough about. Good evening and welcome to the History of Germany podcast. I'm Travis Dow. There's a lot of things going on. There's lots of stuff going on, which is why it's been a while since I released the last episode. Um, there's a History of Alchemy YouTube channel with kind of an animated podcast, I guess you could call it. There's lots of new Secret Cabinet podcast episodes out. And you can go to podcastnick.com for all the other stuff besides the History of Germany um, and see what's what's happening. You can even buy t-shirts now. So there's that. And before we get to the part where the Germans smash the Roman Empire kaput, we need to get the picture of who these invading Germans were. Previously, we looked at Germans before Romans. And last time we looked at their conversion to Christianity alongside Romans, really. But their religion isn't the only thing that's changed as they had contact with Romans for centuries. And some Germans were living within the Roman Empire now. And those Germans changed even more than the ones that were further away from the border. Germans would live in cities for the first time. Over the centuries, other industries besides farming developed and people became, or let's say households or families, became specialized in, you know, other 
Um, I, d- I talked about this before, but in, in, you know, they weren't just farming as the main industry. You could have families now that were trying to get iron or uh, more into fishing or, you know, or actually weaving as the main household industry rather than farming. So we see the special- specialization now slowly over the centuries. And even their dress and manner changed. I'm going to focus on two cities built by Romans as a sort of sample size, but that are today in modern-day Germany. And this is a very important point in the history of Germany. Later, when I talk about the Middle Ages from the Frankish Empire to the Holy Roman Empire to all sorts of aspects between the relationship between German emperors and kings and the Pope in Rome, I'll be coming back and reminding you of this episode. Later on, Germans thought as themselves as the heirs to the Romans, basically. They, they were the emperor. They were the Roman emperors in succession of Augustus and so forth. And in the next few episodes, including this one, we'll see why, or at least why they argued that. Anyways, so a case study of two Roman cities in modern-day Germany. Both cities are named after Augustus and founded at around the same time. One was the capital of Belgium, now in Rheinland-Pfalz, and the other the capital of Raetium in modern-day Bavaria. And I picked these cities because they're two of the oldest cities in Germany, but also one's kind of near the Rhine and one's near the Danube, and those were the two big border rivers of the Roman Empire. So these are Roman cities, clearly, but today they lie within the modern borders of Germany. So that's what makes them interesting. I'm going to start with Augusta Trevorum, also known as Tria today, and then get to Augusta Vindelicorum, known as Augsburg today. By looking at these two cities in the opposite ends of Germany, we'll kind of get an overview. And again, these are two of the oldest cities in Germany today. Now, I mentioned that further away from the Romans, Germans didn't change as much or as fast. In fact, the oldest city in the former GDR, like the communist East Germany, was Anstatt, not founded until 704. And, I, and I, I point this out for a reason, okay? So bear with me. Now, the borders of East Germany, if you know what that is, if you can picture maps in your head, um, if not, go to this episode. Maybe I was nice enough to put one on the post, if I remembered. Um, But the borders of East Germany were actually parallel, kind of roughly, but that's why it's a good mental image if you know Germany and you can picture East Germany, then um, they were parallel to the Roman Empire's borders. Not, they weren't running along the Empire's border, but let's say they're running parallel about 100 to 200 miles away from the Roman Empire, um, if that makes any sense, sense at all. So you have the East German border, okay? Now, in West Germany, running along the border, but 100 to 200 miles away, that's the Roman Empire's border, okay? Now that you're thoroughly confused, moving on. So basically, deep within West Germany, you're already talking about the Roman Empire. You're already in the Roman Empire. And those were those were already Germans living there. So those Germans living between Rome's borders and, let's say, former East Germany's borders still changed. Now, so they would have been outside the empire, but still very close, like let's say within 100 or 200 miles. In those Germans, we still see a huge Roman impact through trade and whatever. They built their 
own villages, but they still emulated the Roman style and traded with them. So again, a gradient or the spectrum is a good way to look at it. We have the Romans, the Roman Empire proper, like Augsburg and Trier, which they founded. And those are Roman cities with city planning, city, you know, Roman roads going to them, you know, those cobblestone roads. And then on the other side of the border, we have Germans trying to copy that, kind of like a cargo cult, you know, building their own streets and trying to do their own city planning the, their own way, but probably lacking uh, Roman technology, but also trading enough with Romans that, you know, they can they can make it happen. Further than that away, let's say uh, in former Eastern Germany, <laughs> you know, 2000 years later, um, those Germans were far enough away that there was much less of a Roman influence, still some, because we're talking about centuries here. So over the centuries, Roman influence did trickle down. But um, those were getting into a region that, that were later Germans, but at this time, you know, it, it's totally different people than lived there a couple uh, centuries later. So definitely different peoples than that lived in East Germany, let's say. So, um, yeah, anyways, but just so you get the point that there's a gradient. It goes from, like, very Roman to not very Roman at all, but they're all Germans. But all these Germanic tribes ended up moving around, so I don't want to get hung up too much on geography or to relate the archaeological finds that we can do today and compare them to the people living there today. Because, again, there was these great migrations. Some people st stayed put. We do have, you know, genetic evidence saying that some people stayed where they were forever, basically, for millennia. Um, but the tribes themselves, the names, all moved. But anyways, we could say that Germans lived in three zones. The ones that lived in the empire, the ones that lived outside of the empire but near it and the ones that lived in east germany or you know further away and the ones that lived near it were still basically roman client kingdoms so they they really they did have contact with rome i mean on an official basis you know including treaties and politics and all that stuff but the ones that were further away just didn't have that contact okay so anyways one important thing to note about our first city here about tria when this city was founded, Germans weren't living in villages even. They were still living in separate homesteads. If you go back two episodes, I think, um, we, we do not see the Celtic Opida, like their, their fortified villages that Caesar described. Germans didn't even have that. They just had homesteads, families, family units living within visible, like within sight of their neighbors or at least walking distance but not any sort of villages, not even two or three grouped together until kind of later. And then the Romans come in deep into this German-speaking part of the world and found Tria. And if you go back a couple episodes, um, I talked about Julius Caesar subduing the Treveri in 58 or 50 BC. And no later than 16 BC, at the foot of the hill later christened the Petrusberg, upon which the Romans had set up a military camp around 30 BC and then abandoned again a few months later. The Romans later came back and founded the city of Augusta Treverorum, or the city of Augustus and the land of the Treveri. It can be claimed to be the oldest city in Germany, period. And the honor of it being named after the Emperor Augustus can only be shared by Augsburg, who I'll talk, to ne talk about next, and also Augst in northern Switzerland. 
And when Emperor Augustus reorganized the empire, the, the Roman provinces basically in Germany in 16 BC, he decided that Trier should be the capital of Belgica. And shortly before 100 AD, they built an amphitheater. So, I mean, we're talking, you know, city planning, Roman city. And a city basically wasn't really a city at all until it had an amphitheater um, in Roman times. Then, of course, soon after that followed a Roman circus. And by then it was definitely a, a city, a, you know, something worthy of being called a provincial capital. You know, a, the central market, the central trading routes all went through there. And, and Trier kind of has an interesting history. Also, much later, I'll, I will come back to Trier in the history of Germany a couple times. But in the third century crisis, it became the chief city in the province of Gallia Belgica. And then there was, you know, a breakaway Gallic Empire for about three years. And then when it was brought back into the empire, again, served as capital under Emperor Tetratus the first and second. And then, as we discussed in the last episode, in the 3rd century, or, you know, somewhere in the middle of the 3rd century onwards, Trier was the seat of an archbishopric, the first bishop being Eucarius. But Trier was destroyed shortly thereafter by an, an invasion by the Alemanni, which sounds familiar because that'll happen to the next city too. And when Diocletian, I'm kind of assuming you guys kind of know who these guys are because we've all heard the history of Rome podcast, so I'm not going to waste a lot of time on this. Um, now, Diocletian also recognized the importance of Trier as a kind of strategic place, you know, to, to ha have Rome's might in Gaul, to kind of, you know, have a presence over the Gauls and that border region and on the Rhine. So he actually had first Maximian and then Constantius Chlorus um, were Caesars at Trier. And that, that kind of becomes the, you know, the and so Diocletian kind of establishes this idea or later the tradition of it being a sort of residence of the Western Roman emperor throughout late antiquity. So now we're talking about a city that is really like an imperial capital, you know, not as big as Rome, but definitely, you know, the it is, a, it is an imperial residence. It is where the emperor himself might show up and have a palace there which means the Roman Empire could be run from Trier. Like, it, you know, it had the bureaucracy, it had the imperial buildings set up as if it was an imperial capital, like several other cities, I should say. Constantius established a mint, for instance. This became the main principal mint of the Roman West. They updated the amphith amphitheater with a new stadium under Constantine the Great. The whole city, in fact, had a facelift and um, buildings like today known as the Constantine Basilica, came to be in this time, the Imperial Baths, the, the Kaisertamen in German, which are the longest surviving Roman baths outside of Rome. And the Romans switched around their provinces again, and this time Trier was the seat of the Gallic Prefecture in 318, basically one of the two highest authorities in the Western Roman Empire. And so little Trier you know, was basically in charge of an area from Morocco to Britain, let's say. So this should give you an idea why centuries later, when Germans started to claim, you know, imperial titles for themselves and base it off of the same imperial titles uh, that the Romans used, actually claiming to be Roman emperors, in effect, um, Kaiser comes from Caesar, you know, 
then they would look at cities like Trier and say, well, this is a German city and it's also the capital of one of the capitals of the Roman Empire. So the, the, now hopefully it's becoming clear where, where these ideas are starting to come from. Trier was the birthplace, I think we mentioned him in the last episode uh, with Stephen Guerra, Trier was the birthplace of St. Ambrose around 340, who later became the Bishop of Milan. I'm sure I've mentioned him on this or that podcast before, maybe even the history of alchemy. I mean, he's, he's just, he's an important figure. And by the decline of the Roman Empire, Trier was actually the largest city north of the Alps. And in fact, in the late 4th century, Magnus Maximus made it the capital of the whole Western Empire. So for mm, five years, it was actually, it was actually basically Rome of the Roman Empire. It was the capital. But then, of course, you know, in the early 5th century, and that's what we'll talk about next episode, come the Vandals and Alans and Suebi. And this kind of pushed the Roman borders back from basically behind Trier. And they, they the Romans switched the capital of the uh, Gallic prefecture to, a, to Arles on the Rhone instead of on the Rhine. And starting around 350, I would say, same, same with Augsburg, we start to see Germanic attacks. So Emperor Julian did a great job of repulsing them. For more on that, listen to the history of Rome. And the Romans were basically able to keep Trier as a city, you know, as a fortified city until the 450s, when control finally was lost to the Franks and the local military commanders, who then just claimed to represent central Roman authority. So now we're basically, I mean, so that's that's the thing, is that the, the Germans didn't come in and conquer Rome as much as Rome kind of collapsed around the same time. And these, I don't know what you want to call them, like these, you know, vigilante warlords basically came in and said, we have the Senate's approval. And the fact is that the Senate, the Senate had zero might whatsoever. So the Senate might be happy that there were somebody policing the population, even if it was barbarians. Um, so the Senate could actually sanction these kind of things, which means that, so the Germans really, you know, they did have ground to stand on. They could argue, there were many, many arguments to be made for them being the successors of the Romans, because there was just nobody else. There was, you know, a, a power vacuum in Rome itself. So, but anyways, so when the, when the Franks captured Trier, they just, they just became the local Roman authority. They, you know, it wasn't, seen as an invader. I mean, of course, the population saw them as an, as conquerors and invaders and dangerous barbarians and all that, but the Franks didn't see themselves that way. Um, but again, uh, that, you know, that didn't last long. The Huns came under Attila in 451. And then 20, 25 years later, it definitely became part of Frankish territory. And from the fourth century to the beginning of the sixth century, Trier's population decre decreased from an estimated 80,000 people, which was, that's a metropolis at the time, to some 5,000 people at the beginning of the 6th century. So that's, you know, a good more than 90% of its population gone just from all these invasions and, you know, the, the Franks and the Huns and, and all these things happening. But, but we'll get back to that part of history. To give you a similar story... But from the other end of Germany, so Trier is in the far northwest, and now I want to talk about Augsburg, which is kind of south-central, but it's part of Bavaria, which is in the southeast. So kind of similar parallel story. Um, Augsburg was founded roughly 15 AD, 
And again, around around the district of Oberhausen, they built, Romans basically built a military camp first. That seems to be a common narrative. I also looked at Cologne, which, you know, Cologne in German, Köln, you know, also means it came from Colonia. It has a really horribly long name, but meaning colony. So again, it was a Roman colony, you know, in which is now a, a German city. Um, but so we see this that it started as a military camp of, you know, Julius Caesar or Emperor Augustus coming in. And later, this military camp incorporated a supply depot. And then Emperor Augustus had his two stepsons, Drusus and Tiberius, kind of um, build this city out a little bit. And according to this founding date, Augsburg would be, after Trier, the second oldest city in Germany. According to some criteria, I, sh I should be careful there because it depends on how you define a city and what um, what you use as evidence and that sort of thing. But it did become one of the largest Roman settlements. Emperor Hadrian gave it a town charter in 121, and from around 95 AD, it became the Roman provincial capital of Raetia. Raetia? I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Raetia, which extended, it kind of comes down all the way into northern Italy. And it replaced Kempton, or at the time, Cambodunum, Cambodunum, something like that, as the capital. And then it has the same parallel story. In the 3rd century, it came under attacks by the Germanic tribes for the first time. And uh, later, Raetia was split, where Augsburg became the capital of Raetia Secunda. And then, just like Trier, in the 5th century, the Alemanni captured the city. What I thought was interesting, and again, to kind of... Um, show my point, I guess, that, that the Germans didn't see themselves as capture, like occupiers or attackers so much, is that it is, I think it's important to note that the city was not destroyed or plundered. Um, and we know this because we have evidence of it being, you know, of it continuing to be a, a pilgrimage site like people would still go to Augsburg to visit the remains of some of the you know famous early martyrs already at the time and already in late antiquity Augsburg was also the seat of a bishop so that's that's also interesting to note that the Alamanni came in but did not plunder the city they respected what they saw uh, the same when similar I would say when the vandals came to Rome you know they were kind of they came almost as uh, pillaging tourists rather than than actually out for loot and you know just just out for the quick buck they actually came with a little bit of respect of what they were conquering or not at all or i'm making it all up who knows anyways i i could give you many more examples there i read up i read up on cologne it's really interesting i'll probably come back to cologne in a different context i think um, instead of giving you too many cities in this detail, I'd rather come back when we talk about, because like Trier, Trier, I'll definitely mention again, Augsburg is really important, again, uh, with later invasions. So Augsburg will be mentioned again. So the, the point I want to make here is that the Germans were kind of this this gradient of influence between the Romans from, you know, actually living in the Roman Empire and uh, really becoming Romanized to far away from the empire and really not changing all that much at all. Although they probably would have gotten some trade goods now and there. But I think it's clear to some degree why Germans started to think of themselves later in later centuries as the heirs to the Romans. And that is that, you know, the Romans, Romans built their cities right on the Germans and the Germans were there when the Romans left. 
um, kind of, you know, that might be one, one really quick way to summarize that, but I'll definitely get back to this. Now, next time, we'll start that story with the Germanic invasions of the Roman Empire. So that will probably either end next time or in, or in two episodes, end the miniseries of Romans and Germans. And we'll start talking about Franks and Saxons and Vandals and Goths and all those kind of guys. So again, uh, there's a lot of other stuff going on. If you go to Podcastnik or historyofalchemy.com or secret-cabinet.com, there's all kinds of other stuff out there. Sorry I'm a little bit slow right now on getting History of Germany out. There's a lot more to come. And thank you to all of you who liked the Facebook page and have been following me on Twitter. And I noticed that's that's becoming more and more of you all the time. And and especially thank you to those of you who give a five-star review on iTunes and left a nice review. That helps out a show more than basically anything else does. And otherwise, it's a free show, so hey. And I almost forgot that my MP3 hoster, uh, basically the podcast hoster, uh, Acast, is running a survey, which if you filled out, it's like five minutes and it works from smartphones, whatever. Um, If you fill it out, that's really great because then they basically have a better idea of who you are, which if... You guys are well presented with Acast, and that works out really great for me. And um, they kind of, you know, invest more in in people like you, which uh, is good for me also, and good for you. Um, like they might, like they might be more history podcast friendly. That kind of thing is what I'm saying. So, but the best part of that is, is that if you do fill in this five minute survey, you have the chance to win 200 pounds, which is uh, like 300 dollars or so. A little bit more, three hundred dollars, let's say, of on Amazon vouchers, and even if they're only valid for Amazon.co.uk, I don't know if they are or not. Um, they'll still work. You can still buy stuff and have them shipped to the states. And all of everything that you share is confidential. Nothing will be shared. Just the email is only used to notify you if you've won. We've, they're really just trying to collect data. And I think that's a good thing. In this case, it's really good that we kind of uh, get to know who you are a little bit better. And that survey, you can find it at podcast-survey.com, like podcast-survey.com. And it's smartphone-friendly, all that. Um, Again, I hope you guys are overrepresented there because then Acast might look at history podcasts differently and and all that kind of thing that goes with it. They're really cool. I really do want to support them because um, they host us for free. History of Germany, History of Alchemy, uh, and Bohemican, uh, and History of Germany in English and German, we're not paying anything for that. So they really are great. So I'm I'm happy to return the favor. In fact, we get money sometimes um, for hosting with them. So the more you're heard, (laughs) the better it is. But even if you don't, go fill it out. Hey, thanks anyways for listening, and I'll see you next time on the History of Germany podcast. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.